Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, "The Dream" by H.P. Lovecraft. This was first published in a fanzine, or not a fanzine, a amateur magazine called The Tryout, or Tryout, Volume 6, Number 9, September 1920. I think we've talked a little bit about how uh, these magazines functioned and what they were about. Is uh, But I'll just remind anybody who doesn't know, um, amateur journalism. This is what they called it. It was basically uh, writers who liked writing and who were not maybe ready or not willing to submit to professional magazines um, and who thought they don't need to because we've got our own thing. It was a, it was a sort of a, a writerly thing to do. And uh, Lovecraft was a subscriber to many of these magazines. His uh, eventual wife was a founder of one of these magazines and a contributor to his magazine and a subscriber. And it was, it was a very, very, very much like uh, blogging uh, or podcasting, except a lot slower. Um, huh. And uh, instead of using a computer to make your stuff, you use like um, gelatin and ink and <laughs> trays full of gelatin. And, and then you could make like uh, 60 copies of something and you'd have purple ink on, you know, gray paper. And then you'd mail them off through the mail to your all your subscribers who were other people who had similar magazines. This lasted quite a long time. I mean, I, I remember in when I was a kid, I was a uh, fanzine uh, subscriber to at least, well, to at least a couple of different fanzines. And um, all the artsy kids were really into it. I think it's almost all, I mean, I, I know they still are around. Nothing ever really dies, but it's almost all turned into blogs and podcasts. Well, I think that the problem has always been um, not finding writers, but finding readers. Yeah, absolutely. But one thing we know about writers is that at some point they were readers, right? And um, they, they, they appreciate uh, good writing when they do it, and they appreciate good writing when other people do it. And um, so this is – this I did not get straight from the pages of the tryout. I got it from – the Lovecraft Collector's Library, Volume 4, uh, Selected Poetry, 1955. So this was basically um, kind of like uh, the non-professional version of uh, Arkham House mag uh, book publisher. They were collecting this stuff that uh, was even less saleable than Lovecraft stuff, right? Uh, his, um, his fiction. And... It has basically been lost since uh, it was published in a 2013 book called The Ancient Track, which I often refer to, um, a collection of all of Lovecraft's extant poetry. But um, before we talk too much about how it got published and all that stuff, maybe we should actually have you read it to us, and then maybe we could discuss what it means and how much we enjoyed it. <laughs> I'd like to uh, some frame setting mm -hmm. this poem is in iambic tetrameter which is a a form that invites sing-songy reading mm -hmm. 
And uh, Lovecraft clearly wants us to try to squeeze what he wrote into iambic tetrameter uh, because he takes perfectly fine words like heaven and he takes out the the last e and puts in an apostrophe so we're supposed to say hmm, you know <laughs> make make one syllable out of it um so this is not an easy poem to read i agree that's why i'm asking you to read it <laughs> <laughs> and i just want to apologize if i make it too sing-songy i'm not trying to uh to mitigate the artistry behind it. If I uh, seem to be squishing things together, I'm just trying to follow the instructions I infer from the typing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Dream. As t'other night, young Damon lay, a dreaming o'er his studious day, to his lone couch there stole with grace the likeness of his Delia's face. Above his raptured eyes it hung, and round his heart a magic flung, till all the gifts of heaven seemed blent in one fair figure's slight extent. The nymphy, though fair enough in truth, shone doubly to the spellbound youth, for in her childish look there gleamed a score of charms he only dreamed. Who shall with fitting pencil draw the vision of the, that young Damon saw? The task is sure beyond my skill, whose nights such visions never fill. Fancy a visage young and fair, with every goddess's mingled hair, a lip that envious graces lack, matchless eyes of lustrous black, tresses of silk as dark in hue as summer midnight sweet with dew and a slim form whose robes of white trail by like clouds of filmy light this damon saw and as he gazed his love to ardent luster blazed the bending nymph he dimly viewed and blessed the pleasing solitude Closer the lovely phantom came, as brighter burned the stripling's flame, till ere her kind intent was known, the vision's lips had touched his own in bliss. The conscious youth essayed to clasp this form his dream had made. But such rude haste, all spells must break. So Damon started wide awake. Delia, he cried, return, return to quench the fires that in me burn. But empty space repeats his cries. And only memory fills his eyes, transported thus. Young Damon swore his nymph in virtue to adore. With sounding oaths, he vowed that ne'er to well-known sports would he repair. Caricius's banquets, rich with wine, he vowed forever to resign. The games, the dice, the friendly cup, all these forthwith he must give up. Sustained by vows, he sought the street nor could a saint more vows repeat. That evening, as he called to mind the virtues of the day behind, the solemn rigor of his tread, the wines untouched, the jests unsaid, young Damon sought to pass the time, now grown so dull, by scribbling rhyme. With hard-pushed quill, he strove to tell of comely Delia's magic spell of love and youth and such affairs as bards concoct to kill their cares. But, sad to say, t'was soon made clear that verse was nor his proper sphere. Though great the pains a bard may take, fine dreams will oft poor dactyls make. 
The hour grew late, but still the swain to write his thoughts essayed in vain, when sudden all his virtues new burst in a curse and fled from view, cried he, how vast a dunce am I to put my solid pleasures by. If dreams my soul to good impel, I'll dream my virtuous life as well. <laughs> it's funny. It is. <laughs> Joke. I love it. <laughs> I was telling, um, I was telling, uh, we did a show on a uh, Lovecraft story on Sunday, and I was telling my people I was doing the show with that, you know, H.P. Lovecraft is super funny. And people don't know that. I mean, you read his, his, no his novels, his short stories, and they're, they're, I mean, you might sort of smile uh, at some of the stuff, but you don't see that he has a wickedly funny sense of humor, I think. He, he's, he's poking, poking, poking. Um, and one of the things uh, we didn't frame um, is the dedication and uh, the fact that he didn't write this uh, under his own name originally, right? Um, Actually, I don't know how he wrote it. That was one of my questions. I only know how he published uh, okay. it. Okay, yeah. So at the very bottom of our version, it says, by Edward Softly. That was one of his pseudonyms that he used in the amateur magazines. Um, I'm not 100% sure why they did the uh, the uh, pseudonyms, but I, I've, I figure it's for the similar reasons to most people, you know, back in the days of... Um, forum posting <laughs> would use pseudonyms on the internet it's basically because you're young and you want to sort of be ribald <laughs> mm -hmm. right <laughs> and maybe you don't want to be associated with the words that you're, you're how ribald do you think this poem is jesse i think it i think it's possible to read it in a very ribald way i think it's a little more modest and chaste than uh like it depends on how you read certain lines right um, uh, his hard-pushed quill, he strove. <laughs> so you also see this as potentially um, yes. the waking dream as, as a wet dream. I think that that's entirely possible. And I yeah. think that he uh, – uh, Lovecraft is a gentleman, uh, even when he's using um, uh, sort of – he's pushing the line. He would never, ever come out and say uh, anything like that. He was very modest um, – in terms of uh, his his sexual proclivities, right? Yes. Um, so I can't help but remember that at the end of the facts of case, the facts in the case of Monsieur Valdemar, Poe, when the fellow who's been suspended by hypnotism at the end, um, and he's he he yells out, you know, kill, let me die, quick, quick. He ejaculated. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are there are. Well, I mean, it, the, the death and sex are more obvious than others. Death, death and sex go together, right? This is, this is, you know, if 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 you were executing people, um, that was not impossible to see, right? Right. Um, I I don't want to get too deep into that because that's uh, that's more Poe, but I think it is important to see the di different. I mean, when you read most of Lovecraft stuff, not not this poem and not a few others like it. Um, most of his stuff is almost completely sexless. If there's, uh, you know, there's, there are a few stories like, um, the thing on the doorstep where 
sex is implied and sort of all sorts of weird sex is implied, but nothing is really made explicit. Here, I don't think that that's as important as the fact that Lovecraft is writing this uh, to somebody. And I ent- I've read a few of his poems that are like this, and, and so have you. There's one called Anda or the Bride of the Sea, which we covered on this show, um, which is a wonderful poem about a guy who basically falls in love with a sea woman or almost a mermaid sort of lady. Um, and then there's a whole back section to that, which is uh, references to Strephon and Chloe, which we also covered. Um, and basically it's... Uh, so young men swear off women, <laughs> right? Now, well, this guy swears off, you know, boxing matches, and exactly. I mean, he swears off everything: yes. heavy food, you know. <laughs> He's making himself he worthy. Lasts, he lasts only one day. It's very, very funny. Yes. Um, and uh, and and there's another poem that has uh, a lot of references here too. But I I, I just want to point out that yeah, it is. It's dedicated to someone named Master Consul Hastings, which is obviously another fake name, um, uh, as with Edward Softley. And according to S.T. Joshi, um, it it doesn't say this, but it's it's a poem for or to Alfred Galpin, who was a uh, protege, is that the right word for it, of Lovecraft's. Basically, Lovecraft said he was his adopted son. Uh, this is something Lovecraft did a lot. He he would have younger people coming to him, and he would call himself Grandpa or something because he's you know six years older, seven years older. In this case, he was um, he was uh, Lovecraft would have been about thirty uh, exactly. He would have been thirty at the time of publication. Um, Galpin was nineteen at the time of publication, um, and if you think of the um, the sort of mocking, cute little mocking tone. Um, and then what's going on in this poem, which I think is hilarious if you think of that relationship. Um, <laughs> here's what I think happened, okay? <laughs> Galpin's... Did I, did I just... I'm, yeah, I'm not, I, I do want to hear that. I just want to, to, in order to give this perhaps even extra resonance, mm-hmm. the, the place in which this was published, Tryout, was published by Charles Smith, who was an older man when he first befriended Lovecraft when Lovecraft was 19. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of that, um, you know, I, I think going on, uh, many of Lovecraft's relationships were like that, that he, he found people who admired him and he, he was very friendly with, with a lot of folks. Um, anyways, I, 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 here's what I think happened. Galpin wrote him a letter or, uh, they talked and, um, <laughs> and uh, Galpin said something like, "Oh, I had this dream of my girlfriend or this woman I saw, and I just couldn't capture it on paper." And Lovecraft took that in, and then he wrote this <laughs> as a okay. mocking, a mocking um, uh, s- satirization of this situation. And um, yeah, thinking of it that way, so many of the lines make. Uh, Make it even funnier to me. Um, so what did... Uh, this is, I guess, in the first half. Um, it goes... Um, trailed by clouds of filmy light, this demon saw, and as he gazed, his love to ardent luster blazed. The bending nymph he dimly viewed, and blessed in 
lest the pleasing solitude, closer and lovely phantom, close, closer the lovely phantom came, as brighter burned the stripling's flame, till ere her kind intent was known, the vision slipped, had touched his own. In bliss, the conscious youth essayed, and as I point out to my students, essay means try, right? Essayed to clasp this form his dream had made. But such rude haste all spells must break, so Damon started broad awake. Delia, he cried, return, return to quench the fires that in me burn. You notice he's, 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 um, he's being uh, poetic in his uh, outburst, which is hilarious. But empty space repeats his cries, and dimly, and only memory filled his eyes. Transported thus, young Damon swore his nymph in virtue to adore. With sounding oath, he vowed that ne'er to well-known sports he would repair. <laughs> I'm not going to the football oh, game. That ne'er would he repair. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Caricius, um, I remember looking this up. Um, is this a famous Greek or uh, it sounds like a famous Greek party thrower? Um, it does sound like that, but in fact, that's not who it is. Who is it? It turns out that Caricius, it's spelled with with eyes these days. There's no Y in it ah. um, these days. Caricius was a fourth century grammarian. Okay. That is someone who, who tried to teach us how to make words work right. <laughs> so that tells us something about what the feast is. Uh-huh. Interestingly, interestingly um, Caricius is known primarily for the fact that his writings that have survived, um, it was five books, one of which was mostly lost and a couple of which were in part lost. His works that survive report the ideas of earlier and better known grammarians. Mm. So he is not himself considered to be a great grammarian or one would call it rhetorician these days. Um, but but he has sort of a failed attempt at trying to do it and bringing that forward. So these sports may well be the writing of poetry for mm. which for which Damon is not so good. But the guy who's writing the poem uh, about Damon could be very good. Well, his gra- his grammar has some some things that he's doing to make it funny if oh, not yes. uh you know there's something going on here and i, I just want to i want to get to the part where he says um how he's going to try and solve his problem because it it's it's funny this is there's a, a number of problems that are presented and they're attempted to be solved so it says again with the tryout right um <laughs> All these forthwiths he must give up. Oh, I, I missed the best part there. He vowed forever to resign the games, the dice, the friendly cup. All these forthwiths he must give up. Sustained by vows, he sought the street. Nor could a saint more vows repeat. That evening as he called to mind the virtues of the day behind. The solemn rigor of the tread. The wines untouched, the jests unsaid. Young, He's being serious now. Young Damon sought to pass the time now grown so dull by scribbling rhyme. With hard, with hard pushed quill, he strove to tell of comely Delia's magic spell. So there's presumably another poem out there about how beautiful Delia is, right? It's almost unless, like unless this is that poem. Well, that's the funny part, right? So I think <laughs> it could be that that um, Galpin sent a poem to Lovecraft, or even wrote one in in the uh, same magazine. 
Um, and this is Lovecraft's reply to it, which I think is even funnier. Um, with hard push quill, he strove to tell of comely Dealey's magic spell of love and youth and such affairs as bards concoct to kill their cares. But sad to say, was twas soon made clear that verse was nor. I don't know if it should be not. That verse was nor his proper sphere. Though great the pains a bard may take, fine dreams will oft poor Dactyl make. <laughs> this is very, very funny coming from Lovecraft. <laughs> and also, it's so meta, right? Yes. Um, well, that's what I mean. It says, the, the poem says um, that he realized he couldn't write this stuff. Right. He couldn't, and then comes out all of this stuff. He didn't have words to express this, which he then expresses. It's like the fellow who puts his arm, who... who reaches up and touches the ceiling and says, you know, uh, my ar uh, arm is killing me. I can only raise it uh, as high as my shoulder. I used to be able to raise it this high. And there he is holding, touching the ceiling. Mm -hmm. right? It's self-defeating. He says it, it can't be said. It can't be said. Mm -hmm. This is what can't be said. And he keeps saying what can't be said, which is one of the reasons that one might think that young Damon is himself. Uh, except there's something at the beginning I want to get to, but let me finish this little section here. Fine dreams will oft poor dactyls make. The hour grew late, but still the swain to write his thoughts essayed in vain. And then he gives it up, right? But earlier in the poem, we have this uh, vision of Damon lying uh, asleep, right? And then it says, a score of charms he only dreamed who shall with fitting pencil uh, this is this is actually the description. Uh, description uh, For in her childish look there gleamed a score of charms he only dreamed, period. New sentence. Who shall with fitting pencil draw the vision that young Damon saw? <laughs> well, uh, the answer is Lovecraft making fun of him. <laughs> the vision that young Damon saw, the task is sure beyond my skill, whose nights such visions never fill, Right. Well, this is not Damon writing about himself. This is Lovecraft writing about Damon or Galpin, I think. Or writing about himself, if these, in fact, are his young dreams, which is one of the reasons I asked how old he was when he actually wrote it. Mm. Mm -hmm. See, if, if he were 19 and relatively repressed, this would definitely work. Definitely repressed. Yes. Yeah, well, I took that part for granted. But this this would be a, a terrific, spontaneous production of Lovecraft's. And one of the reasons that I think of it as perhaps either him projecting back to his own youth, perhaps on the basis of love of his uh, friendship with Gelpin, uh, or or not, um, rather, or written at that in his own youth, but published now, is that the the ending. Of this imaginative journey, well, I I could do this, I could, but the heck, I'll just do all my I'll do all my virtues in my dreams, right? So that I can continue to actually function in the world. Mm -hmm. In a way, this is the opposite of a poem that we have discussed here before. A year off, mm -hmm. yeah, it has that same resonance. And is this have yes, the same rhyme scheme? But at the end of a year off, after he tells us all of the things that he would have been able to see, he says, thus might I scheme till in the end the year would slip away unheeded, my money safe with me to spend, and the wild outing scarcely needed. Right. And it's and the that's same. the opposite of how this ends. Here he's saying, I don't want to have all of my life in poetry. Let me just 
you know, dream my virtuous life. And I want to go back to sports and, and, and women and, and liquor and, get, you know, that's so unlike most of Lovecraft's work, even his funny work, like a year off, which is why I'm wondering if he is either projecting himself back into his own youth or he actually wrote this when he was himself a stripling. I, I would suspect that it was uh, it was produced in response. Uh, we don't have I don't have those issues of of the United Amateur and um, in this case the tryout. They're incredibly expensive to get. Um, but my understanding is that there's a lot of back and forth, and uh, sometimes they're they're like um, basically everybody's responding. People write in responses to the thing that was in the previous issue. It's very much like message boards, right? So it, yeah. it is possible that you know you go in there and you throw throw in a, an old poem that you wrote a long time ago, but it would uh, it would probably need some sort of modification. I think the the funny part here is where he says. Um, well, I don't have these visions, right? Um, Lovecraft is, again, 30 years old. There is a period of time in your life when you're a young man uh, uh, where you are much more subject to mooning over girls and uh, perhaps boys if you're so inclined. Um, and then as you get older, you become like, you, you remember that, but you become more, um, I don't know, circumspect perhaps is the word for it. And you see it as much more humorous, I think. That's <laughs> uh, true. Although here, and this is true from his earliest writings, regardless of when this was composed, Lovecraft is seeing this in his typical way of building up his own mythology and uh, working on others. Damon is the name of this fellow. And Damon is, I mean, the Damon that most comes to mind when one talks about the, the classic graces and the muses and so on is mm -hmm. Damon and Pythias, who are two brothers who pledge their lives for each other. They are the absolute model of, uh, of brotherly love, and they are twins. And Delia, in fact, is Apollo's twin. Uh, and uh, Apollo ultimately becomes known as the sun god, and Delia is another name for Artemis, who becomes the moon god. Mm -hmm. So we have two sets of twins here, um, a homosexual and heterosexual set of twins. That is two twins of the same, two uh, characters of the same sex, two of differing sexes. And what what we've got here may be uh, an assertion that that Gelpin is that good a friend to Lovecraft, or it could be that the writer is that much a twin of young Damon. Yes. Um, the way Alfred Galpin came into Lovecraft's life was through another friend of his uh, named Maurice Moe, who was another amateur journalist. And uh, he had this student who was named Alfred Galpin, who he thought of as a prodigy, right? Um, and he put the two together as in contact. And um, Lovecraft didn't live much longer than uh, than this, right? He died in thirty six, I think, or thir no, thirty eight, maybe something like that. Um, but uh, Galpin lived a long life. He he was uh, he died in eighty three, and um, the thing is, is he might have been a he might have been a prodigy, but he didn't produce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like it, there are, he did a number of items, you know, academic works, and he wrote a po uh, uh, some stuff about Lovecraft. But he isn't known like 
the same kind of prodigy like Clark Ashton Smith, who just produced a ton. Um, so perhaps, and we do know, <laughs> Galpin, he went off to Paris and got married to a French woman and uh, became a professor of French and Italian. Um, uh, I think he got swept up in the, <laughs> in the romance. Um, whereas Lovecraft, uh, he, he got swept up in it, but it wasn't him doing the sweeping, you know? Yeah. Um, so, well, so a question that remains, of course, is does this explode itself because it's just a joke or does something else last? And I've got to tell you now, having read this poem, which I thank you for bringing it to my attention, Jesse, having read this poem at least half a dozen times, mm-hmm. what I find is that uh, the joke becomes more and more wry. Mm. And although it may be a youthful production, when he says, how vast a dunce am I, <laughs> we realize that he is that is the, 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 the poet is giving us a view that we're given the distance to contextualize. If you can see that you're being foolish, maybe you're not such a fool. Mm-hmm. If you can laugh at yourself, maybe in fact there's something more here than mere laughter. And if you can put your own dreams in context that is a marvelous way to learn to deal with the world, mm-hmm. whether or not you say that you want to do it so that you can uh, indulge. Uh, in other words, it starts out as fun. It raises loads of questions. It deals with mythology, both old and invented. It gives people like you who've read lots of Lovecraft all kinds of good things, connections to make. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we're all left with More to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. 